markets this morning. It looks like uh, U.S. stock index futures are moving close to trading limit down once again in Asia. That's uh, that's five percent, uh, which they get suspended um, until the New York uh, markets open. The uh, S&P 500 futures down about four and a third percent at, at the moment. Uh, that's dragging uh, Asian markets lower in Australia. The ASX 200 is down. Uh, 4%. Nikkei 225 is actually rallying in Japan. It's up about 1.4%, um, as is the Cosby up about three quarters of a percent. Looks like the Hang Seng, though, is going to fall at the open about 2%. That's about uh, 450, 460 points, taking the index to 22,800. And in the commodities markets uh, right now, Brent crude oil trading at $28.90 a barrel, a little bit of a rebound from the New York close. Uh, gold's up about $9 in Asian trading, $1,538 an ounce. The US dollar is slipping a little bit following that five-day rally. Uh, it's at 107.4 against the Japanese yen this morning and the British pound at $1.21. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Do please try and join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for more Money Talk. Let me give an update on the weather forecast. Cloudy with occasional showers and squally thunderstorms. Maximum temperature about 23 degrees and a few showers in the next couple of days. 21 degrees right now, 79% relative humidity. It's 8.31. Here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. The Trump administration says it's planning a big and bold economic stimulus package to fight the coronavirus pandemic. The Washington Post said the package was worth $850 billion. The Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin said he'd discuss details with Congress about passing legislation very quickly. He also outlined how the move would help ordinary people. We're looking at sending checks to Americans immediately. And what we've heard from hardworking Americans, many companies have now shut down, whether it's bars or restaurants. Americans need cash now, and the president wants to get cash now. And I mean now in the next two weeks. A hundred people are now known to have died from the virus in the United States, and all 50 states have recorded cases. The British government has announced a huge programme to help the economy overcome the effects of the pandemic. The biggest element was about $400 billion of government loan guarantees to businesses hit by falling trade. That's 15% of GDP. The Chancellor of the Exchequer or Chief Finance Minister Rishi Sunak outlined the measures. When I said in the budget that we will do everything we can to keep this country and our people healthy and financially secure, I meant it. These are only the first steps. We have never faced an economic fight like this one, but we are well prepared. We will get through this and we will do whatever it takes. As the coronavirus crisis escalates, the U.S. Health Protection Agency has urged mourners to drastically change the way they say goodbye to their loved ones by live streaming their funerals. The plea came after President Trump limited public gatherings to 10 people. Here's the BBC's Gareth Barlow. One funeral director in New York told a local news site that a pastor had already carried out a service over webcam when travel bans prevented him from holding it in person. The US isn't the only country to change funeral arrangements. In the UK, some funeral homes have preempted any official directives by offering live streaming services. In Ireland, mourners have been ordered not to kiss the bodies of their deceased loved ones, while the Irish Association of Funeral Directors has gone a step further and suggested all funerals should be postponed. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
back to that. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today is Rachel Cartland. Rachel, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. We're talking today about how well Hong Kong, the people and the government have been dealing with the COVID-19 situation and also about the threat of rising unemployment. The government yesterday issued a red outbound travel alert for the entire world except mainland China, Macau and Taiwan. From tomorrow, people coming in from other places, even if they are our residents, will be required to stay quarantined at home for 14 days. Many overseas media are referring to Hong Kong's shutdown as a lesson to the world in halting the virus. If that's true, does that mean that our leadership in Hong Kong is doing a good job? Or is it the people of Hong Kong pushing the government to do a good job? Or both? Let us know your thoughts on this and employment. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Bankchat and RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, bankchat at rthk.hk, or you can give us a call. And our telephone number is 233 8826. 233 8826 uh, is the number. Okay, here's an email. We've got uh, emails on a variety of topics, uh, as ever. Um, before we get to the first main topic, uh, Peter in an email says uh, yesterday one of your medical experts mentioned that hong kong in comparison to the eu and especially the uk is still in the containment phase and by maintaining containment the city is able to avoid a local outbreak of the covid-19 epidemic however as time passes hong kong needs to make a decision on how long the containment phase should last as containment has a huge impact on the local economy in contrast the uk chose to prioritize herd immunity hoping this approach will have a shorter impact uh, on its domestic economy and lead to a faster economic recovery. This argument leaves out a couple of important points. First, while herd immunity exists for some diseases, COVID-19 is a novel virus and herd immunity for all, it seems to be a very shaky theory at best. That's why hundreds of scientists have raised their concerns to the British government about the strategy. Uh, however, Moreover, herd immunity can only be reached by widespread vaccination, but there is currently no vaccine. I think, Peter, the, uh, the, the idea is that this would be done before without a vaccine. It, herd immunity, it's not actually herd immunity I think they're talking about. They're just talking about everybody getting it. Uh, anyway, uh, to continue Peter's uh, email, if the successful examples in Asia show that containment works, why is Britain experimenting with herd immunity unless it's hiding something, like perhaps it's no, its leaders know the NHS is underprepared? Second, focusing the discussion on herd immunity versus economic impact of a containment strategy completely leaves out the fact that the UK government is playing with the lives of tens of thousands of people. I.e. the leaders are willing to are willingly prepared to sacrifice people's lives in order to save the rich in a grand countrywide experiment. Third, in contrast, Hong Kong's successful containment strategy has potentially saved thousands of lives. So did Singapore. And now China also seems to have contained the spread of COVID-19 again. Fourth, if the UK and the world at large worry about the economic impact, why not simply give every citizen a large cash handout? That's so much cheaper than bailing out the rich through quantitative easing and asset purchases. It would also solve lots of socio-economic issues, worries about job losses and stimulate consumer demand in times like these. Uh, finally, your experts also left out another strategy that containment in Hong Kong and China might go on until we have a vaccine or the global outbreak is contained. Those thoughts uh, from Peter. Thanks very much indeed from that. Back to that thk.hk before we get on to other issues rachel just just to say welcome back you so you you're in switzerland i thought switzerland was the home of clean fresh air and sanatoriums and <laughs> everything there was dandy uh yeah i mean certainly the air is fresh and we had a great time uh but we were quite surprised at their attitude to um the coronavirus and we've been assuming that they've got such a great health system that this would all click in quickly uh but 
by the time that we left, the number of cases there seemed to be spiralling out of control. We were only there for eight days. Uh, but one case when we arrived and m much more than 100 by the time we left. And a little bit, I'm sure it's changed now, and a little bit head in the sand. I mean, the local newspaper, when you opened it up, the top story was transgender toilets to be introduced into schools. And way down at the bottom of the page, um, something about a uh, post to China being disrupted by the coronavirus. You kind of got the feeling people there felt it's not going to affect me. This is a nation problem. And, of course, Europe now has had to change that view totally. Yeah, you've noticed the, the change. You think when you were leaving, was there was a different attitude? Uh, we left 13 days ago. Um, I, by then I would say probably no, but of course they were affected very much by um, the Italian problem because there's an awful lot of interplay at the frontiers, France, Switzerland, uh, northern Italy and Switzerland. But a little bit still at that time thinking this is not our problem and I'm sure that's changed drastically since. Mm. Uh, well, uh, one of the uh, effects of uh, this and other, uh, of course, uh, recent events in Hong Kong has been uh, to uh, employment. The uh, seasonally adjusted unemployment rate has gone up to 3.7%. Uh, that's the highest rate for, for more than nine years. Raymond Mack joins us now, an appointed member of the Trade and Industry Advisory Board at the uh, Commerce and Economic Development Bureau. Uh, good morning to you, Mr Mack. Good morning. Thank you much indeed for, for joining us. Um, right. Yeah, what, what do you make of those unemployment figures? Well, uh, the unemployment figures is actually definitely increasing and enjoying uh, a lot of tensions uh, in society. And then I think, uh, you know, the current figures will keep increasing uh, because, you know, the, the unemployment rate figures uh, is always reflecting the, the situation of one or two months ago. So um, uh, I, I think more will come because, as, as we can see on the street, um, many shops close down and then uh, many projects, especially in the construction area and in all other activities, have been slowed down. Uh, so I would say, uh, in my anticipation, uh, the current unemployment rate will keep increasing, and especially the underemployment rate will, will, will still be very worrying in the upcoming quarters. So what do you think the government should be doing about this? You kind of get the feeling that up till now the government strategy has been to help employers and business rather than employees and workers. Uh, would you agree with that? And do you think that's the right approach? Well, I, I think uh, in, in first place, uh, uh, after they assessing the situation, uh, naturally this is uh, being discussed in, in, the, in the bureau committee as well, mm. uh, that, uh, you know, to help the employer, first of all, there's, there's a few benefits. The first one is actually to, to retain the, the, the employment. So I, I think the current uh, funding and also the SME loans guaranteed by the, by the government is actually to uh, make sure that uh, some of the companies, uh, you know, won't, won't get shut down and then uh, at the same time hoping that they, they, can, they can extend, uh, you know, their, their employment and, and some of the business activities, uh, you know, to go for this top period and then uh, to wait for the right period to rebound. So I think that that, that is some, some strategy that can be seen. But of course, I, I think more can be done. Uh, uh, for example, uh, right now, uh, definitely there, there, are, uh, there are some uh, SMEs uh, starting off people. And then uh, those are those are unskilled or many workers uh, were actually uh, quite difficult to find a, a new jobs and and uh, get quite a tough life uh, for for the 
a daily basis. So I think, first of all, it's not only about uh, you know the, the economic uh, or loans or that kind of uh, policies. Let's also start thinking about how to get more subsidies and, and help um, uh, the, the ground and the needed. And on the other hand, uh, I think going through the dust is also also means some opportunities. There are some saying uh, uh, thing who has been uh, waiting for uh, on the you know, opportunity, you know, to to change or or you know to improve our, our economic structure a little bit. But then uh, the talent pool available in Hong Kong uh, currently, we need some um, you know with the deployment and also some of the, the training. And I think uh, in the next phase of, of our uh, of our policy, everyone can be um, a little bit more innovative and creative in uh, helping the whole uh, labor uh, population and structures uh, to get some uh, redeployment opportunities in the, for the future challenges. You know, tourism has been a big employer, hasn't it, in, in, in Hong Kong? Not necessarily a massive yep. you know, part of GDP, but, but but a lot of people are employed. Um, prospects for that don't look good, do they? In the in the medium or even in in the long term, to to, to be honest. And you know that after SARS, yep. that was a kind of a solution, wasn't it, to pump up the tourist industry? Um, that might not be an option uh, this time round. So, yeah, yeah, what yeah. will those people definitely. do? Yeah, definitely. I, I think uh, tourism. Uh, uh, as we just received news uh, just now before the program, right? So every uh, country start their containment uh, and, and also some of the uh, quite strict uh, traveling policies imposed. So uh, it's not only about Hong Kong, but actually the whole world, the tourism hit hard. Uh, so that definitely this is uh, one one of the industries that uh, suffered the most during the coronavirus outbreak. Um, so this is exactly why I say, uh, you know, some of the creative measures should be uh, should be identified and try to try to implement as soon as possible because you can see um, the tourism in Hong Kong. Even though that we we keep uh, pushing up, or actually some of the SME policies is that uh, is targeting the, the the tourism companies. But then um, well, we can expect um, there are limited uh, rebound opportunities and likelihood in the coming one or two quarters. So uh, that's why I say um, the, the redeployment uh, program. Uh, that government should consider because uh, some of the uh, laborers and workers in, in this industry can, uh, through this program, to get certain kind of subsidies and then get the reported skills. So, um, you know, they they, ha- they will have more choice if some other industry can, can get the rebound earlier than the, tr- earlier than the tourism. It, it, it's not quite black and white, but I mean, the, the, we had that interesting email from Peter re- responding right. to what our, uh, our uh, expert was saying yesterday, our epidemiologist, on um, uh, the, the the UK tactic, uh, yeah. comparing that with with what the, we've been doing in Hong Kong, uh, and, and you know, you can say that, and even compared to other places in Asia, in Hong Kong, we've been quite strict on on shutting things down, on closing schools, and we had a period where. Uh, people were working from home, uh, and, mm. and similarly in China, you know, where industry basically was was put on hold for a certain amount of time. Can you can you argue that the um, the unemployment uh, and the uh, you know the economic cost uh, in Hong Kong is the price that we pay uh, to have those low numbers that we've gone for shutting down uh, Hong Kong quite early on and for quite an extended period, and uh, we've made our choice between you know. Uh, economic success and and low numbers and we've we've gone for the low numbers well i i think in this is a tough decision to be honest uh but 
I, I think um, you know the uh, the healthcare and also the safety of the people should always come first. Uh, we understand that uh, you know the, the and, and we, we have to accept that there might be a an economic cost to that. Well, there will be an economic cost to that. Well, I I, I I can anticipate at the moment because it seems like uh, we 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 are going to going for a very tough uh, economic downturn period. Uh, it's not only starting from uh, the coronavirus outbreak, but then uh, starting from the mid of last year. Uh, you know, uh, quite a lot of uh, economic activities is affected because of the social unrest. So it's actually a prolonged uh, uh, effect. And then right now we we got a we got a, a big hit. You know, and a popular final final hit from 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 the rivals. So definitely, this is worrying. Um, yeah, but but of course, uh, in 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 this situation, uh, I I don't think like, if you can see the, the what's happening in Europe, um, uh, they they have been you know they have been not very responsive in, or not very decisive at the very beginning of of the outbreak or actually on on all the containment. But right now, you can see uh, you know the the situation and also the policies that they are they are um, they are implementing is actually very strict as well. So I think uh, this is definitely a black swan uh, situation uh, in 2020. But then I think this is the right way to go, and then we have to get very prepared, um, you know, for the tough situation. You've been talking, Mr. Mack, about um, other sectors other than trade, travel, and tourism that we should encourage. Mm. Uh, do you, Do you have anything you can share with us on which particular sectors you think might be more promising? As the promising. Well, I, I think uh, I mean first of all, if we if we think about uh, you know the uh, uh, the situation, I think anything related to to, to healthcare and safety would be definitely uh, pretty promising. Uh, for example, if if we stay in in the technology and innovation sector, uh, I, I I could see there's a lot of new investment coming in in the uh, in, in the healthcare and also the medical uh, medical uh, type of um, uh, industry. And then also some of uh, the things related to food safety. Uh, I think that that should be some some of the sectors that could benefit from this tough period. But then I, I would say uh, Hong Kong, the population and the talent pool in this bit uh, would not represent the major uh, the major uh, uh, labor population. And the other one would be uh, uh, would be the new um, you know the new type of education programs uh, that could be put online. And then, uh, and also the e-commerce. So, so these are the things that actually record uh, quite a growth, uh, you know, over the past two months. Uh, I, I've been, I've been working and also uh, advising and uh, talking with some of the uh, F&B practitioners uh, uh, over the past uh, quarters, and then some of them uh, actually uh, managed to record only single-digit loss uh, over the past. One quarter or two quarters, that's actually pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why, because they actually changed their strategies, uh, you know, to, to the online and delivery, and then uh, they record more than 50% growth during this period. So I, I think, you know, there, there are some opportunities doing that, even very tough. And I would say, uh, yes, uh, it is very painful, but that still uh, presents some of the opportunities for growth uh, if we can adopt the strategies rightly. Some commentators actually talk about the coronavirus signaling um, a breakdown in the trend towards globalization that we've seen. It's very far-fetched, but could you imagine manufacturing finding a a foothold in Hong Kong again? Uh, Well, this is an interesting topic to discuss. I I would say uh, if the the situation... uh, 
continues for more than few quarters, then uh, definitely there will be uh, some of the demand that uh, we have to get, get some uh, uh, secondary uh, uh, industry sector, you know, to um, you know to to work and and, and supply the need uh, the needed and necessary goods uh, and commodities in Hong Kong again. So, for example, the the surgical mask is is actually the uh, the classic example. Um, so I, I I won't say this kind of uh, manufacturing uh, uh, comeback will will be will be a uh, continuous or regular kind of basis, but then definitely during this tough period there will be a possibility. Okay, um, some uh, emails on, on the subject of you know the, the the government attitude and how well the government's been been dealing with this, uh, Andrew. Uh, so this is in relation to yesterday's discussion. Hi, someone men- just mentioned the lack of any comments by the local administration to comfort the citizens they're supposed to serve. Is this mentally damaging? Does the mind specialist think? That was uh, the psychiatrist, reference to the psychiatrist we had yesterday. Bowen says, much has been uh, said about the government's performance in the COVID-19 crisis. I think the present scheme of arrangements about quarantine and so on is about right, but that has come about after many twists and turns. I agree with the comment of one of your correspondents that we are thankful to the frontline medical staff and associate personnel, but I think many people are not pleased with the performance of the leaders of the government. For example, when the mainland was the major source of potential infection, the taking of more stringent measures at the border was done in three separate stages from January the 30th to February the 8th, and these should have been done a lot more decisively and much more quickly. The mode of implementation, for example, the third stage implemented on February the 8th, being announced several days in advance, also allowed a lot more potential carriers to avoid quarantine and get into the midst of our city direct and the last and most important stage implemented on february the 8th might not even have been taken had the medical workers not taken industrial action for which they should also be thanked that comes uh, from bowen uh, Mr. Tang says, with valuable SARS experience under our belt, Hong Kong has been doing pretty well in preventing the spread of COVID-19. It's the combination of the containment efforts on the part of the Hong Kong government and the high awareness of hygiene displayed by citizens that have contributed to the low number of confirmed cases in Hong Kong. Despite the early disagreement on border closures between different parties, the government has been successful in testing, contact tracing and isolating cases, areas where some countries have failed miserably. The herd immunity mentality espoused by UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson is a worrisome development. It's as if Britain had raised the white flag in the containment battle against COVID-19. My UK friend said the British government's half-hearted attempt to deal with the virus situation will probably overwhelm the healthcare system and cause the economy to crash. He also mentioned that UK citizens are still dining out and attending gatherings there. US doesn't fare well in testing either and some members of the public are not taking the virus seriously so there could be carriers roaming free and shedding the virus in the community i hope that western countries can learn from hong kong in terms of combating covid19 since the whole world is as weak as the weakest link i.e countries that can't cope with the virus it takes the concerted efforts of every government and global citizen to win the battle uh, and uh, on facebook mr pink i'll, I'll uh, you have another email which we'll get to in, in a moment but uh, on facebook peter chan says hong kong's continued resistance to this virus is down to the citizens the government ain't showing much um that's uh, uh, peter chan's comment on on facebook as i say R- raymond mack uh how do you think how well do you think the government is dealing with this uh, how well do you think the the uh how do, well do you think carrie lamb is dealing with it well i i think um 
So first of all, I, I think that at the very beginning, the government uh, response has been, uh, I, I couldn't say it's very sharp at the very beginning. Uh, some, some, of the, some of the measures uh, actually draw some of the attention um, and worries and concerns from the society. But then I, I think uh, uh, right after the, the, the outbreak confirmed uh, in, in mainland and Hong Kong, uh, you know, they, they start implementing some of the uh, some of the uh, policies that is, has been pretty sharp and and, uh, and responsive to the situation. And I think uh, you know, uh, take the the recent uh, uh, containment policy as an example. Uh, I, I think um, the, the the claiming that um, you know the uh, the medical staff didn't go on strike, uh, you know, to push the government to, uh, for for the uh, for the containment of the foreigners is actually unfound because you know the the responsiveness of of the government is actually pretty fast. So I, I think uh, right now, uh, well, when when the, when the virus outbreak is confirmed to be you know the worldwide issues, uh, I think what uh, we have been doing at the moment uh, uh, is pretty acceptable. But then of course, uh, you know, the the, the order. Um, all the situation that uh, keep the Hong Kong as a state today, I, I would say to thank to the Hong Kong people of the high awareness of all, all issues in, in the public health care and the personal hygiene. I, I think, Ms. Matt, we can call you a politician as well as a, 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 an industry expert, can't we? What's your feeling about the political mood? Do you think that the government's performance has actually given it some credit, got back some ground, or do you think people still feel bitter, very bitter towards the Carrie Lam administration? Well, I would say the, the current uh, situation on the quiet, divided uh, uh, camps and, 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 and the mood, I think it will remain unchanged. Uh, uh, you can see that some of the strikes and some of the comments uh, the government is actually based on or actually a of we're losing you we're yeah. losing you mr mack come back hello sorry? Yeah, yeah sorry we lost we lost you there can you say can you say, you. That, can you say okay. that again <laughs> all right so i i think uh i i would say the the, the current situation and 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 uh, and the mistrust between uh you know, most of the protesters and 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 uh, uh you know, and, and the pandemic came with the government actually remain unchanged. You can see some of the comments and, and the strike and, and the industry movement uh, is basically based on the mistrust uh, that was spilled and accumulated uh, uh, throughout the, the social unrest and the, and the social movement over the past half year. So, uh, uh, and, I, and I would think, um, you know, the, the, uh, what the government have been doing, uh, even though they think that, that uh, they are thinking of the, the economic, uh, uh, you know, helping the economies and also, you know, some of the several leaders, I don't think politically they win any marks over the past few months. Uh, and I, I would probably uh, have some of the expectation that after all this gone, um, you know, some of the political issues will make and change and there will be some of the... Uh, And presumably also uh, after people feel it's safe to go out on the streets in large numbers too. I mean, you can't yeah, exactly. I, I think, you know, some, some of the, uh, you know, people you can see uh, during the, the outbreak and then right now uh, when the situation improved a little bit better, you, you can see some of the protests coming back, uh, you know, and people don't forget, right? So uh, some of the um, memorial uh, uh, type of events, still happening on the street uh some of the uh you know tear gas and, and also some of the uh 
quite an aggressive uh, context between the police and those protesters still exists, even though the situation is very worrying in a public health care perspective. So um, uh, you can see a sentiment is still there. And then, uh, and, and, and of course, some of the uh, protesters and also uh, people who, who didn't really have trust to the government uh, even think that, you know, some of the uh, in rivalries and the current situations is bound to the uh, policy and structural problem in the mainland China. Uh, otherwise, they're actually exporting the, the virus to the world. So you can see uh, this, all these kind of uh, uh, comments and views are, are political and also uh, uh, views on the mistrust. And uh, and so that's why I, I was still um, very reserved to say, you know, the current situation and what uh, the government will respond will improve, you know, their their political uh, uh, type of strength and, and muscles in, in, the, in the near future. The, the situation in the political side is still very tough. OK, well, Raymond Mack, many thanks for, for joining us. Uh, an appointed member of the Trade and Industry Advisory Board in the uh, Commerce and Economic Development Bureau, uh, part of the government. Thank you very much indeed for, for joining us uh, this morning with your, your observations. Uh, we're going to uh, have uh, Joseph Cheng, former professor of politics, City University, uh, joining us after the news at night to focus uh, on the uh, political side and political possible uh, political uh, developments. Uh, and uh, your thoughts are on that angle is uh, or always welcome. You can email back, chat at rthk.hk. We'll read out your messages. Uh, or you can uh, give us a call, even better, 233-88266, the usual number. Okay, the weather for today, it's going to be cloudy with occasional showers and some squally thunderstorms uh, as well. Maximum temperature today about 23 degrees, moderate east to southeasterly winds in the outlook, a few showers in the next couple of days, warm and humid with fog at the weekend. 21 degrees, the latest readings, the relative humidity is at 77%. And 10 in the evening local time, while Romanians will have four hours from midnight. Hungary now has 50 confirmed cases of the virus and Romania 184. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Wednesday morning with Rachel Cartland and me, Hugh Tewitton. We're talking about, uh, well, we're going to focus in this part of the programme in particular about uh, the role of the administration, the government, how well they're, they're doing uh, in relation to uh, the uh, COVID-19 situation uh, in in Hong Kong. Uh, it seems like we're doing quite well uh, compared to most places uh, in the world. Uh, why is that? We've had uh, two experts, uh, recent ep- epidemiologists or public health experts, rather, uh, saying that um, a lot of it is to do with uh, our tracing um, that we've done uh, very well at uh, find, if, if there's a case then we'll find out all the contacts and, and do testing and widespread testing and tracing is quite efficiently uh, done here uh, if that's the case you know um, uh, then um, who's that down to who should we be thanking for that I guess uh, uh, how much is it also down to the attitude of the uh, general public uh, as uh, Rachel was saying it seems to be quite different here to uh, his tis in many places uh, uh, in Europe and anyway your thoughts Thoughts, uh, observations on, I guess, the politics uh, of the issue and maybe some sort of long-term thinking uh, as well. Um, uh, you know, if many countries around the world are severely affected uh, by this 
uh, and if tens of thousands of people die and um, uh, economies are severely disrupted and airlines go out of business uh, and so on, uh, what what's going to be the long-term impact? What's going to be the long-term impact to to our capitalist system? Um, uh, drop us a line with your speculations. <laughs> Backchat.rthk.hk. First of all, an email from uh, Mr Pink who says... Good morning. While the government has been justifiably praised for its handling of the COVID-19 crisis, I fear that its latest quarantine policy is too loose and will result in a sharp spike in cases, threatening to undo much of the good work it's hitherto done. As we heard in today's news, the number of new cases yesterday hit a multi-week high, fuelled by imported cases from Europe. Moreover, it was particularly disturbing to hear that some passengers were clearly sick when they boarded their flights, raising questions as to how they beat the temperature testing screens at their city of embarkation. Carrie Lam revealed that over 20,000 people are already being self-quarantined and she intimated the government is struggling to monitor them. With residents rushing back to Hong Kong this week, these numbers will certainly surge further. With government unable to keep tabs on these quarantined individuals, it's fair to assume that a number of them will break their home curfew and venture out onto the streets, placing the broader public at risk. To counter this risk, I propose that the government follows China's example by placing all incoming travel travellers, residents and non-residents into government quarantine centres rather than allow them to spend the time in their hotels or homes. If the government lacks buildings, it can convert the thousands of idle shipping containers into temporary quarantine shelters. In addition, individuals who break their 14-day quarantine stay should be penalised with heavy fines and even imprisonment after they have completed their quarantine. Without the threat of tough sanctions, some returning residents will skirt their homestay responsibilities, similar to the passengers who are clearly boarding flights despite being sick. That is the message from Mr Pink. Thank you very much indeed from that. Um, on uh, other issues, S says, we really need to remind the persons who ride the motorbikes for food delivery to please be careful and obey traffic regulations that are always zooming in and out of lanes, overtaking from whichever small gap between vehicles is available and causing a traffic hazard. Um, and uh, Richard II <laughs> says uh, this is a once-in-a-lifetime uh, century uh, opportunity for governments around the world to use these huge amounts of fiscal stimuli to selectively incentivize the economy to move in more sustainable ways. For example, the massive subsidies given to fossil fuel industries, the single-use, disposable, consumption-driven economies dependent on infinite growth, impossible in a closed system such as the planet. All of these need to be disincentivized, whereas more sustainable economic activities should be supported. The failure to do this will simply mean a much bigger threat to us all just down the road in around a decade or so from climate and ecological collapse. How long will it be before the economists who advise government get it into their heads that their economies must change. The thinking is all too short-term and blind to the realities of the physical environment. Coronavirus is just one manifestation of this. There will be more and more frequent disruptions. We have very little time left to change. Let's seize the opportunity now. Thank you very much indeed for that. I think that's it. Yeah, we'll, we'll take up that particular issue perhaps a, a, a little bit later. Um, finally, a message from John Kowloon, who says, in my previous emails to you, I've warned that Hong Kong unemployment will soon surge as high as 8% and possibly even breach the record high of 8.5 we saw in uh, 2003 uh, after SARS. A glance at the makeup of Hong Kong's labour force We'll quickly tell you why this bleak outlook is a very realistic threat. Hong Kong's labour force stands at 3.9 million. Therefore, for the unemployment rate to reach 8.8% from its current 37 around 200,000 would have to lose their jobs. 
If you look at labour force by industry, the grouping of retail, hotels and restaurants, and questionably the most vulnerable category, employs 565,000 people. These industries have already been bleeding cash prior to the onset of the C-19 virus uh, crisis, and as Alan Zeman pointed out yesterday, some are now on their deathbeds. One can see at least 100,000 people in these businesses being made redundant in the next few months. Another 452,000 people belong to the industry grouping of transport, courier, etc., and compete key component of which would be airline-related. One could easily assume that 10% of the people in this segment would lose their jobs. And finally, finance and property, which employs 848,000 people. The stock market has plunged. Bank earnings have been crushed by falling interest rates. And the real estate market remains moribund, as it has been for over a year. It's not unfeasible to imagine 50 to 100,000 layoffs there. So just by looking at these three board categories, I've tallied up at least 200,000 potential job losses, which would lift unemployment to 8%. Faced with this rather pessimistic outlook, Look, government must firstly provide immediately uh, financial assistance to the most vulnerable sectors, such as hotels and retailers. Longer term, the government has to diversify our economic base, reducing our reliance on China tourism and financial services. Uh, it should perhaps look at the example set by Singapore, which has done an excellent job in constantly reinventing its economy over the past three or four decades. That comes from John Kowloon. Thank you very much indeed for that. Joining us now, we have Joseph Cheng, a former professor of politics at City University in Hong Kong, a political commentator. Uh, Mr Chen, good morning to you. Good morning. How well do you think the administration is doing? How well do you think people think the administration is doing? Well, in terms of the budget, the government certainly has been doing a pretty good job uh, in distributing all types of subsidies, tax exemptions, and uh, even direct finance, uh, financial allowance to the amount of $10,000 per, per head to Hong Kong people. This is relatively prompt and certainly uh, meets the demands of Hong Kong people. Uh, Hong Kong people, of course, are most grateful to the dedication and professionalism of our hospital staff. Uh, despite the shortage of resources and uh, uh, shortage of bed places and so on, they have been doing an excellent job. Again, Hong Kong people has been proving uh, the value of their professionalism, expertise, and, and good training, and so on. But in terms of perception, it is obvious, as, as reflected by public opinion surveys, people still do not think that the government in general has been performing well popularity ratings of our chief executive and all senior government uh, officials are in the negative zone. Uh, to some extent, we have to admit that public opinion has been crystallized. That is to say, it is very difficult to change people uh, who do not believe that the government enjoys uh, their respect, uh, who do not see legitimacy in, in, the, in the administration. Uh, this is uh, unfortunate. But on the other hand, we also have to point out that the government has not made serious efforts to really promote community solidarity, uh, making use of this uh, opportunity uh, to combat the, uh, the, the pandemic. The obvious omission has been the district councils. The government uh, has been denying uh, a dialogue, a useful dialogue 
with the district councils to solicit it, to solicit their cooperation. And in fact, uh, uh, the neglect of the district councils have been pushing them to to adopt a more and more radical position. So uh, I, I think the government uh, has certainly failed very badly in this aspect. That is to say, to use this opportunity to promote solidarity and try to reduce the confrontations and contradictions in the community. Where does the heart of this problem lie? Is this, if one put it crudely, a Carrie Lam problem? Is it a Beijing problem? Is it a problem with the elite, the establishment? Where can we put our finger on it? In the first place, um, the most important decision has to be made by Beijing. We, we have to admit that. Uh, if Beijing is not interested in the dialogue with the pro-democracy movement, if Beijing is simply uh, thinking of uh, the performance of the pro-Beijing camp in the coming September uh, Legislative Council elections, then there is a limit to what the administration can do, to what the uh, uh, pro-Beijing United Front can do in, in Hong Kong. But uh, as I was saying, theoretically, um, facing a challenge, a pandemic, uh, this is a good opportunity to promote solidarity among Hong Kong people, but um, the opportunity certainly has not been exploited. I, I guess that one of the things that we've seen recently is quite interesting is a kind of breakdown in the relationship between the pro-Beijing factions and the government, that individual pro-Beijing figures seem to have been much more willing to come out and criticise the government. Do you see that? What do you read into that, if so? Well, this is typical pre-election political behaviour pattern. Uh, we, we understand that even on the basis of previous uh, elections, uh, pro-Beijing politicians tend to be more critical of the government. They tend to identify with the people more. They tend to say that uh, we have been exerting pressure on the government. We have been articulating the demands of the people uh, and so on. So this is a uh, typical warm-up uh, for, for the elections. But at the same time, uh, I think it is also obvious that the pro-Beijing camp is not happy with the performance of the Carrie Lam administration, and certainly uh, they would like to distance themselves from the uh, Carrie Lam administration, and this certainly reflects on the unpopularity of the, uh, of the administration. But, but are, are there also signs that Beijing is not happy with the pro-Beijing people in, 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 uh, in Hong Kong? You had those comments recently by Lao Siu Kai um, talking about a lack of support. Um, and uh, you also had, you've also had uh, Carrie Lam in, in, involved in a couple of uh, uh, activities, sort of high-profile activities, uh, where she's very much um, uh, been in line with the FTU. And the FTU seemed to have a much higher profile. Uh, we've had a lot of media interviews on, on Radio 3, for example, uh, recently from the FTU, and it's hard to get the DAB to say anything very much. Um, but the FTU, you know, the government was coordinating with FTU for for, for 
were identifying people in in Hubei and so on. They were handing out masks, and Carrie Lam was going along to their events and everything like that. You know, is there some significance in that? Is there is there a, a, a frostiness with the with the DAB and some of that side, and uh, a slightly moving towards the FTU? Do you sense that? Yes, there are a, a few factors involved here. Uh, in the first place, the Chinese authorities are probably uh, not happy with the performance of the United Front, and you have the change of personnel in the uh, centralized office in Hong Kong, as well as in the uh, Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office uh, in the State Council in Beijing. Uh, it is suggested that the new centralized and office head, uh, Mr. Lok Wei-ning, will probably be engaging in some personnel reshuffles and, and so on. There are divisions within the pro-Beijing camp uh, based on two types of factors. Uh, one is uh, their differences in terms of attitudes towards the uh, Kerry Lam administration. Some of them are quite ready to support the administration despite uh, their dissatisfaction with his performance. Some of them are less helpful, uh, more critical, and uh, more ready to articulate their uh, dissatisfaction. Um, this, is, uh, this has been reflected by what you just have suggested, and this is also reflected in the alleged uh, Carrie Lam's report to the central authorities mm. released by the Apple Daily uh, a few weeks ago. Then there is the uh, competition within the uh, pro-Beijing camp uh, in preparation for the uh, Legislative Council elections in September because of the anticipated difficulties and the likelihood of a reduction in the number of seats won. Competition has been very keen, and this competition has exacerbated the internal differences and uh, exposed the differences in terms of attitudes towards the Carrie Lam administration. Since July 2019, I'd say, various experts have been predicting the demise of Carrie, that she will be forced out of office. But to date, the support of Beijing has been very strong. Do you see that as continuing? Well, the first issue, obviously, is uh, if you ask Carrie Lam to step down, uh, what, who will succeed her? And how would you arrange the election process? Because uh, uh, the stepping down of Carrie Lam is very different from the stepping down of, the, say, uh, the head of the centralized office. The, uh, the removal of the centralized office head is simply uh, a matter of party decision in Beijing without any difficulty at all. But if you ask Carrie Lam to step down, then you have to appoint somebody to act in her place, you have to elect uh, a new election committee, and you have to consult the, uh, the business community, the pro-Beijing United Front, and this is probably a very, very challenging task, and at the moment, in view of various difficulties, the political turmoil, and now the pandemic, uh, there is probably a lot of hesitation on the part of Beijing. And this explains that uh, uh, Beijing is still supporting Carrie Lam, at least for the time being. 
Yeah, Matthew Jung, actually, in the most recent period, seems quite to have dropped out of sight. It's interesting that you say that the whole government is really uh, not popular at all. You don't see any figure in the cabinet coming forward and getting a bit more support? Paul Chan, Paul Chan, Mm -hmm. for example. Patrick Nip. Well, according to the public opinion surveys, the most popular ones are the most, uh, are the least seen by the people, like the the head of the Environmental Protection Department Mm. and so on. So so, uh, it's it's unfortunate that way. And there are all types of suggestions, of course, uh, that if Carrie Lam uh, uh, has to step down, who will succeed her and so on. And it is also obvious that Matthew Jung's name has not been mentioned in in this uh, list of potential successors being uh, discussed in the gossips in the pro Beijing circles. I've got to say, Paul, <clears throat> Paul Chan has quite studiously distanced himself from kind of the political turmoil. I mean, uh, we, you know, in the budget speech, he was talking about social event or social incidents. Uh, you know, uh, in, uh, in last year, at the end of last year. That's a long way from terrorism or rioting or anything like that. And he seems to be, you know, as I say, quite quite carefully um, uh, avoiding getting stuck in that particular bog. Yes, I think it is wise for him to do so uh, if he avoids all these controversial political issues which tend to be unpopular and concentrate on the more popular uh, or, or at least... Um, giving everyone 10,000, yes. Issues like distributing money <laughs> uh, among the people, uh, promising to speed up the process, uh, granting uh, subsidies to the retail trade entrepreneurs and so on. Uh, this will certainly help him to improve his popularity and maybe even put him uh, within the list of potential successors uh, to the chief executive position. Yeah, I think we all agree and can see everybody that uh, the medical profession, the public medical and health sector are really doing a great job. But interestingly, we don't really see a figure emerging there as quasi-political, do we? I mean, Gabriel Leung seems to have reverted to being very much a technocrat rather than a slightly political figure as he was at one time. Yes, there are, of course, divisions there. Uh, Obviously, Uh, a group has formed the trade union and this group has been trying to exert pressure on the government through calling a strike uh, which has not been very successful and and effective and at the same time uh, in terms of public in terms of expert opinion uh, there are uh, naturally uh, 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 differences in in views and there is uh, and in a free society, obviously, you have uh, quite a number of experts offering uh, not too different, but uh, not identical views. And uh, there are experts outside the government's advisory group also offering uh, advice, uh, experts' opinion to the uh, to the people, and they have also been popular, some of them, and, and that, that is why you probably uh, uh, probably why you do not see any uh, 
distinct leader emerging from the uh, from the situation. Can, can I ask you to take take a few steps back and, and look at the, the the biggest kind of picture? Um, uh, as uh, Richard II, uh, one of our listeners there, was, was talking about a, a change in the opportunity now for a change in uh, priorities and to look to a more sustainable future uh, and so on. Um, you know, around the world, this is going to be a big deal, isn't it? This uh, this COVID nineteen. We're in the middle of it now, um, but uh, uh, you know, any way you look at it, uh, it it's going to have a massive impact on, on on economies as well as individuals and uh, and political systems uh, around the world. And if you compare it with other, uh, you know, pestilences and plagues in the past, I know like the Black Death in Europe, that led to very significant um, social changes just because there weren't enough people. So the people in charge, so labor became more valuable and so on. And the, 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 the kings and the the aristocracy who were in charge couldn't exploit the people quite so much, and you know there were there were kind of very significant kind of knock-on effects. Can you yeah. look ahead and, th- and and think what might happen to the world? Do you think because this is going to be a big trauma? What what might be happening in a couple of years' time? Do you think things might be different? Certainly so. Uh, uh, well, in the first place, uh, it has been suggested by our. Uh, listeners, commentators, that perhaps China's significance may be may be going down. The Chinese economy is expected to uh, to come upon greater difficulties, slower economic growth, slower economic growth rates, and so on. And I think the first question facing our government is: to what extent you should be more proactive? Uh, uh, there are many areas that the government may think uh, of doing something. For example, in the basic area like tourism, certainly the government has been much uh, proactive, even in the tourism industry, which is so important to Hong Kong. Any one of us who has been traveling, say, in Singapore or Thailand, can see that their governments have been much, much more active in the promotion of the uh, tourism industry. And uh, the education, the entire education sector, despite the, uh, the highly qualified people uh, running the system, has not been very modern. That is to say, the curriculum in high schools and especially in the universities actually do not cater very closely to the needs of the economy. In, in so Hong Kong, are, you're talking about? Yes, yes, yeah, I mean Hong again. Kong. Yeah. Uh, you look at the curriculum of the uh, various degree programs in the Hong Kong tertiary institutions, they are very traditional. <laughs> they have not actually not been very modernized to, to meet the demands of the, uh, uh, of the modernizing economy. So uh, I think, broadly speaking, the first question is, uh, should the government be more active? Uh, more proactive. Uh, how should the government more wisely use its fiscal reserves to promote economic growth in the intermediate and, and long term? And then, of course, uh, um, on the socio-political side, uh, a crisis like this may generate, as has been suggested, a higher uh, unemployment rate uh, and likely a further divide uh, between the rich and poor and exposing more 
the uh, inadequacies of our of our public services, especially in the medical and health sector, and so on. And there will be again uh, the issues, the usual issues of dissatisfaction, discontent, and how the government is going to meet. Uh, do, do you think? Challenges. Do you think we might become, and other places might become more socialist? That the public sector would grow rather than the private sector? I don't think we <laughs> we are reaching socialism or more socialist in in any significant way. But uh, like most mature economies, uh, we do see a declining standard. In terms of many of our public services, and again, money has to be spent. The, uh, the the public health and the hospital systems are the most most obvious. I mean, we have been those of us who have been to public hospitals easily can detect the crowded conditions there, and and I'm sure everybody will agree that we need more hospitals, and no one will object. To get to the government spending more money in building more hospitals and so on, and this is just one of the examples. Mm. Uh, our schools can certainly be improved and so on. Okay, well, thank you very much indeed. Uh, just thank some, some uh, emails to, f- to finish off. Uh, JR says, "Does anyone know how much of Hong Kong GDP the government is spending to help the overall population and support of the economy?" I hear countries around the world who are behind the COVID nineteen virus epidemic announcing huge packages up ten percent of GDP. Government's going to debt to achieve this. Hong Kong has such huge reserves that it wouldn't go into debt, and yet the financial secretary has already mentioned about cutting expenditure in future without any plans to help the economy survive. Any thoughts on doing a segment on back chat on that, asks uh, JR. Uh, and uh, G says, why US government takes two weeks to give out 10,000 US dollars per person to 300 million people, and the Hong Kong government takes months. By the time the cash arrives, it's too late. The government also imposes double standards on stopping travellers from other countries now, but not to the Chinese in February when the pandemic starts. It's done absolutely nothing and put its citizens and public health at risk. It's simply disgraceful. Uh, and Peter T says the government has a death wish, no pun intended. The prospect of its plan to repatriate more of its citizens currently overseas to Hong Kong will drive our creaking health system over the edge with extreme consequences, in particular for our elderly folk. Those with the money for overseas education and recreation should be encouraged to remain away from Hong Kong rather than return here. That is from uh, Peter T. Thank you very much indeed for those. And finally, a comment from uh, Bowen on a different issue on on RTHK. Uh, Bowen says, Dear Backchat, if Secretary for Commerce and Economic Development Edward Yao meant to rebuke the Director of Broadcasting yesterday for citing the number of compliments headliner received as a shield against investigation by the Communications Authority, I think the Secretary could have done so out of sheer ignorance. Just judging from what has transpired, at least one reason for the Director of Broadcasting's quoting not just the figure of compliments for, but that also of complaints made against headliner between February the 1st and March 8th, could have been because numerous pro-establishment politicians had repeatedly sought to draw attention to just the number of complaints that had been made to the Communications Authority about RTHK. For example, DAB's Ben Chan did that many times in the City Forum on March the 8th, which was the immediate episode preceding Lung Kar Wing's letter to the staff of 
RTHK last Thursday. Edward Yao's remarks are a clear indication that the government is acting in concert with pro-establishment politicians to force RTHK to change its programming. Listeners interested in knowing what kinds of programme the establishment has in mind for RTHK to produce should note the indications given by Ben Chan in the March 8th episode of City Forum. Personally, while I don't watch the headliner, which the establishment apparently wants to get rid of, I found it innocuous and its caricatures and sarcasm comparable to the UK's satirical Muppet show Spitting Image in the 1980s and 90s. But the type of programmes suggested by Ben Chan are a bit juvenile and rather out of sync with this day and age. Those thoughts from Bowen. Thank you very much indeed to you, Bowen. Thank you to uh, Joseph Cheng, former professor of politics at City University. To Rachel, many thanks to you. And uh, once again to our producer and uh, researcher, Michelle Chan. Thank you very much indeed. And Andy, thank you very much as well. The weather cloudy with occasional showers and some squally thunderstorms. Temperatures up to about 23 degrees. The outlook, few showers in the next couple of days. 21 degrees now. Humidity is at 77%. The Smart ID Card Replacement Exercise is for me and for you. If you are holding an old form of Smart ID Card and were born in 1960 or 1961, you must replace your ID card from February 18th to April 20th, 2020. You may bring two family members or friends aged 65 or above and two persons with disabilities to replace ID cards together. Let's build a caring and inclusive society. Remember to book ahead. 9.33, the news now with Samantha Butler. The Trump administration says it's planning a big and bold economic stimulus package to fight the coronavirus pandemic. The Washington Post said the package was worth $850 billion. The British government has also announced a huge program to help the economy. The biggest element was about $400 billion of government loan guarantees to businesses hit by falling trade. Australia has told its citizens to return home and halt any overseas travel to curb the spread of the virus. The Prime Minister Scott Morrison also banned non-essential indoor gatherings of more than 100 people, but he rejected calls to close schools, saying the impact on society and the economy would be severe and cost tens of thousands of jobs. And three U.S. states have been holding their Democratic primary votes as scheduled, while one state, Ohio, postponed its poll due to the virus outbreak. TV networks have projected that former Vice President Joe Biden has won the Florida and Illinois primaries, notching big victories over Senator Bernie Sanders. There's still Arizona left to call. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Well, he talks to journals as the stories unfold. Musos and actors. Good morning. No matter young or old. There's tons of stuff going on. Moves them through the studio. 